0: When I decided to parent at 22 years of age, I had no idea how challenging or rewarding it would be. Looking back, I'd do it all over again.
1: Being a single mom isn't always easy, but it can be the greatest adventure of a lifetime. Whether you're at the beginning of this journey or somewhere in between, CareNet is your go-to place for pregnant and parenting resources. And all services are free and confidential. To learn more and find a location near you, visit our website at carenetcares.com.
0: Memorial Day honors those men and women who perished while serving the United States military. It is a day of remembrance. And right now, remembering is even more important. They died to preserve a way of life that seems especially precious. This Memorial Day, we honor our fallen soldiers and all those who are on the front lines right now, fighting for us all. Kenny Drugs salutes you. men, women, and children,
2: victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear
0: exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and sea to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to around. an end. We're saying that planet Earth is
2: about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve
0: as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will
2: commence again if you try
0: to take our firearms.
2: One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you
3: repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Absolutely killed himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold
0: of the end of this civilization. They're trying
3: to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazi. For those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of freedom. The bitterness of men will fear the way and the progress. The hate of men will pass, and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the US Department of Defence, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Rashville is a very interesting place. You know, a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we uh, we
2: we
1: not love. This
2: is the Garden of Doom. Welcome, everybody, into Garden of Doom. And this week we are welcoming in one of our returning guests. I believe this is his third appearance into the show. And it's Mark Ali, who previously did a show on the Peraska Skulls, Giants, the Crystal Skulls, a bunch of uh, anthropological, archaeological Stuff, and he also did a show in our trilogy on Arthur, uh, and he was the, the it was the Polycon or uh, Polychronicon of Arthur and the Green Man, uh, straight there in that uh, that 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 wonderful Arthur arc we did, which was Arthur three ways, um, which people have really enjoyed. So, if you if you are interested in King Arthur at all, listen to all three of those shows, um, and you won't regret it. So, Mark, first of all, thank you very much for coming back into the show. We always uh, appreciate having you on.
3: Absolute pleasure to be here again.
2: <laughs> Great. And Mark is coming to us from the UK. So again, the, the, the Garden Goes International and on, and our UK connection uh, works again. So, uh, you know, if you listen to the prior shows, you know that Mark, you know, constantly makes the mistake for him, but bonus for me, of booking himself for future shows, you know, in conversation. Um, and he has, you know, he's got a book about Robin Hood, spelled R O B Y N H O O D and you should absolutely buy the book and he's obviously you know I always give the guest plan a chance to promote their stuff obviously that's just a podcast uh, you know etiquette 101 um, but I don't know what you know I tried to read books before the guests come on but I after I'm getting worse at it I, I did I just 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 have time blame the PwC if you know you know but I'm doing way too much uh, work for them on you know other stuff and I love that stuff too but it, it's uh, you know I I'm 54 I need I need my eight, eight, eight hours of sleep and plus those of you who know my you know when I'm recording this and when I drop it aren't at the same time but right now I'm still in the midst of La Sicaria being in South America doing Sicaria things so uh I you know I have to take care of myself which is you know very difficult I was never trained to do that in the last five and a half decades of my life so um anyway so enough about me nobody cares Uh, Or if you do, you've heard it before. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Tell the folks a little bit about you. And uh, as I always mention, I I confirm that you are, in fact, an archaeologist.
3: Yes, I am, in fact. um, I started off as a a child volunteer digger with my dad, who was also a volunteer digger. uh, Back in My dad was alive in the 1950s and 60s as a digger. Uh, 1960s and 70s, he dumped me into this Roman dig site at aged eight years old. And I dove in and went scraping in the sand and pulled out this piece of Roman pottery and went, whoa, look what I found. And everybody went, put it back. Because, of course, you're not supposed to do that. So that was my first lesson in archaeology when i was eight and i kind of stuck at it finished up uh training with liverpool um university uh, ended up on enormous digs i mean we did the biggest monastic dig in europe we did one over here at norton priory uh this huge like welsh templar preceptory uh, augustinian uh, abbey so that was incredible We've done other things you know castles and uh, usual everything everything you can imagine so yeah um Uh, Left it to go in the music business as a drummer. I did that pro for just over 20 years. Came back, thought, what am I going to do now? Um, Because I'm getting older and uh, started writing books, as you say. So I've got quite a few of those out now. I think the ninth book is due out in August. Uh, But it takes me a while to do them. Uh, It takes me about three years to get a book out in all, on average. Um, the King Arthur one was an exception. That took 45 years. But, you know, it's a big <laughs> subject. You know, it's one of those. I've got to say, the Robin Hood book, let's get back on topic. I mean, that was a great one because it's, it's kind of a precursor, it's a pre run to the King Arthur book in that it is a polychronicon. By definition, it runs in chronological order. It's the chronological life of Robin Hood. But that one, from start to finish, it was a conscious effort to do it and it took four years. So, uh, you know, there's some amazing stuff in there, absolutely incredible stuff in there. I mean, I've got the privilege of living in, in, you know, not far away from the areas that Robin frequented. Um, So I've got access to material that maybe other people, you know, would find harder to get hold of. Uh, But no, it's an absolute joy to do that. So, uh, yeah, I also do... All sorts of other things as well. I'm I, I'm on Ancient Aliens at the moment, the current series that's running out there in the states. Uh, that's I great. On, cool. I I'm know. on the one on the one on crop circles, the one on uh, obelisks, and I believe there's a couple of others I'm on as well. Um, so that's quite good, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, well, look
2: who's in danger of booking him himself again. Oh, but you're already booked for a future show. I don't even remember where the topic is, but I know it's in our calendar. So,
3: Well, I've got a book on the UFO crash coming out on um, Flying Disc Press. so it's probably that one. That'll be August when it gets released. Right, so absolutely. I can, I can come back and spill the beans on that one, but I'm not going to say too much of that. I don't want to steal this Watch you on Ancient
2: Aliens, buy the book, and then we'll talk about it on the show. Yeah, no, that, that's, yeah. that's amazing. That's terrific. So... Everybody knows who Robin Hood is, they think, like, you know, like the Adventures of Robin Hood, the cartoon version from Disney with the foxes, Robin Hood, (laughs) one of my earliest childhood memories. I saw that movie every single year. I would get my grandparents to take me, my other grandparents, anyone, anyone I could, I'd see that movie. I I like the Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn that, you know, probably if I saw it now, it would drive me insane um you know we we saw kevin costner make a stab at it and no bueno and then charlie hoonham i think did did a version or so or somebody looked like charlie hoonham i can't remember if he was king arthur or robin hood but either way it was it was an abomination you've, you've,
3: you've got the you've got the brookheimer one and then you've got the one that came even after that brookheimer had a shot at doing it fairly realistically uh which actually does i mean a lot of what he's got he's in his movie he's got uh, i've got that in the book so that that's really? interesting oh yeah there's quite a lot of uh overlap there he, you know the Kate blanchett doing the you know village in the middle of nowhere routine he he pretty much nailed some of that still got loads of nonsense in it though and then you got the um the one that looks like uh assassin's creed you right. know, the last one that came out Do you remember that one you've got like the sheriff of nottingham wearing this really cool gray you know up to the minute sci-fi type jacket on and all sorts of bonkers in that uh <laughs> great yeah. action movie can't knock it but you know uh, but the tales were a bit
2: right. fuzzy yeah. around the edges <laughs> you're just taking a name that people know and trying to throw it in there so yeah so here's the the basic story that people know and I you know I probably shouldn't have to repeat it but just in case people don't know cuz there's a lot of younger listeners and maybe they don't maybe they just grew up on call of duty and assassins creed and anime <laughs> and maybe robin hood never really got to their way so anyway robin hood is a saxon lord robin of loxley uh, he, uh, comes back from, I think, the Crusades, uh, and to find that his father's holdings, he's a Saxon, the Norman, it's after the Norman invasion, and the Normans have taken his father's property. So he is no longer, uh, a noble. The, the Saxon nobles, of course, were kind and, and benevolent lords to their, their serfs, tenants, and peoples, and everybody was happy under the Saxons. The Normans were horrible and oppressive. And Robin, realizing that he's lost everything, um, you know, decides to right those wrongs, and 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 in in the course of it, you know, finds a band of sympathetic merry men, and you know, he basically famously steals from the rich, gives from the poor. Basically, has a hidden city, town in 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 Sherwood uh, Forest. Uh, the sheriff of Nottingham is is always trying to track him down. Um, the guy of Gisborne is, is uh, I guess, the knight that's involved, and of course, evil Prince John, who is the Regent of England who wants to be the king because his brother Richard the Lionhearted was captured by the Saracens in the in the Crusades, um, and what we don't know is that uh, oh and, and all of this money is titularly to be to pay for the ransom of Richard, but it's not. Prince John is using it to bribe you know for to enrich himself to bribe other lords and. Men of arms, gender arms, and bring everyone to a sign. Don't forget the Normans came from Normandy, so you know get French allies and all, all sorts of things. Um, but what they don't know is that Richard either was ransomed or released on a some sort of program or whatever, and he's coming back with his, you know, some Crusader knights that were with them. Of course, they're in their full Templar regalia of uh, white robes with uh, you know red crosses on it, and and uh, you know somewhere in the midst of this. Uh, Robin meets Maid Marian, who is a you know it's sort of like a Romeo and Juliet thing. She's she's a Norman, you know, a lordess, I had a maiden. She's but she's from a noble family, and they fall in love. And she realizes that the Normans are horrible oppressors. And uh, you know, we recently had the same story in RRR, that that uh, Indian movie, the, the Bali or Dollywood movie that, that that was on Netflix. And anyway, so you know, they 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 lure Robin in with a. Arrow bow bow tournament. So of course, he can't resist his hubris. He gets almost get captured, but uh, you know his merry men and um, you know are aware that he's walking to a trap. He escapes, and in the end, there's a giant scene. And uh, but you know, right right when things look bleakest, Richard the Lionhearted reveals himself, and everyone bows to him. And wow. Richard, you know, you know makes. A pledge to uh, treat the Saxons par- fairly, unite England, and Normans and Saxons shall live in harmony—sort of like a Camelot moment. That—that's sort of the cliche Robin Hood story that I did as best as I can in you know two minutes. So, Mark is going to tell us the real version of Robin Hood. How much of that is fact? Is how much of it is fiction? What's the order? And let's hear. It. Let's let's hear what you got.
3: i I'm, I'm 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 prepared to be dazzled. Okay, I'll jump in. Uh, probably about 70, 75% of what you said there is is right. Too much. But there's probably <laughs> about 25% of it that's not, that's, that's pure Hollywood. Um, I've got to say I did the same thing with this as I did with the Arthur book. I, I kind of... I started off, I think, at the beginning thinking, well, oh, Robin Hood, you know, and his Merry Men and all this nonsense. It's got to be – it's just a made-up medieval legend. And that's pretty much the angle that everybody takes, you know. It's got no basis, in fact. You know, the guy never existed. You know, it's just all been made up. So I started off – bearing in mind I'm doing this in a straight run. So it's like fire the starting pistol, off we go. It's four years of work to do the book. So I'm starting it with that – basic premise that that there's very little fact. And to be honest, odds are I'm not going to find anything. That was my original approach. Um, straight away, within that first year of doing research I was just pulling up document after document after document that was proving that clearly this guy was actually there you know, he actually existed there's records of him everywhere Chester, Nottingham, you know Siege of one of the castles uh, Pontefract Castle, he's there with his dad you know, there's all kinds of bits of records out there Um, and I, I was just amazed at what an awfully shoddy job people have done in the past, because most people have gone yeah okay we know what the legend is that's it and they've just walked away they've not done the background so let me say straight away, uh, one of the things we did with the book, it's the life and times of the real Robin Hood. So I thought, oh, let's be clever. Let's put his real name on the cover and spell it according to Old English. So you've got that R-O-B-Y-N-H-O-O-D-E, which is fabulous till you look at modern technology, because if you don't put the right name in, you're not going to find the book on a search engine. So that was a bit kind of, you know, shot myself in the foot there. Uh But at the end of the day, you know, that's his name. And we couldn't have got a title stuck on the front of the book with the name Robin Hood in any other way uh, because everybody else has done it. You know, it's already out there. So anyway, I I dove in and started off, um, you know, looking at this. uh, And and straight away, it comes out that this guy, are you ready for this? (gasps) Take a big, big, deep breath. This guy is not Saxon. Oh boy! Okay, okay. He's, he's many. He's many things. He is many things, but he's not a Saxon. Um, in the early legends, because I am trying to use you know early sources, he's um, he's actually an illegitimate child. I can tell you of whom as well, because I managed to do his family tree. I will have to resort to notes for this. Uh, he's okay. the Ill- illegitimate child of a member of the de Mortimer family, um, Hawise de Mortimer and uh, she, her first husband, Stephen O'Malley, dies, and she remarries. Uh, we think the guy that she remarried was a, a lesser noble called Udard, and they produce Robin. So if Robin had a second name, a proper noble second name, his second name would be O'Malley. Now, Stephen O'Malley, who was Howie Mortimer's first husband, is actually descended from Odo, Count of Champagne, who is um, married to William the Conqueror's sister. So you can't get much more Norman than that. Do you know what I mean? 100% down the line, he's he's, he's Norman. But the thing is, he's he's lesser now. He's gone from this lesser noble, Oudard. So he actually gets adopted into the Rumaire family. Uh, William de Rumaire adopts him. And William de Rumaire is connected to the nobles of Chester. So if you actually have a look factually at the nobles of Chester, there's this quote where, you know, they're talking to this uh, monk in a monastery, uh, and they're saying, well, you you know, uh, what do you know kind of thing? And he kind of says, well, you know, I can't recite, I can't recite like the Paternoster, which is this medieval prayer. He said, I can't recite that. But I can tell you, I can tell you about the legends of um, Ranulf de Gurnon, and Robin Hood. Now, it, it, that is one of the oldest quotes. And you think, Ranulf, Earl of Chester, and Robin Hood. Why has he put those two together in the same breath? Well, the answer is, it's it's the, the Gurnon family, it's Ranulf that adopts him. So, right up to him being a teenager, right up to him being about 15 or 16, uh, Robin is actually with the nobles of Chester. So forget any anywhere else, if anything, he's associated with Chester, which is really important because Richard the Lionheart actually gives shields to all of these nobles with lions on. And one of the early discoveries I made, probably as I was going into the second year writing the book, is that they are a conclave of lions, so they've got black lions, they've got green lions, they've got yellow lions, they've got red lions, and Richard the Lionheart has a black lion on a red background. And all of these people have got these these shields. So you're into medieval politics. You're looking at everything north of the River Trent, if you like, is red. So let's call them the red team. Okay, they're, they're all supporting. They're where, all supporting. Ri- where is the
2: River Trent? You know, for- right? Okay,
3: Britain. Okay, Britain. Uh, if you can imagine cut Britain in half, slice it across, mm-hmm. and then sort of go up and across a bit. So kind of the right-hand side of Britain isn't part of it. But the Trent kind of cuts up just north of Birmingham and and below Manchester, Liverpool, Nottingham and all kind of the central area. It cuts across the country. So everything above that, so you, you're talking, you know, Staffordshire, Cheshire, Derbyshire, Lancashire, Cumbria, up into the lowlands, all of that area supports Richard the Lionheart. So in effect, in Britain, you could call that the red team. You go south and you go across to the other coast and all that lot going down is um, John, the wicked king, John, who follows uh, Richard. Now, John is by trade, he's a tax collector. So he's not very popular, shall we say. Uh, (laughs) So he's the blue team, if you like, because he he, also the English don't like him because he's he's literally in bed with the French. You know what I mean? He's he's based, he may as well be French. And the only other team in all this, really, uh there there are two other teams. One is the yellow team and that's the Scots. So up there with the red line on a yellow background, you've got you've got everybody who's Scottish come you know, up there up in, in Alba. But then there's this other little tiny team. It's a tiny little bunch of people. I'm gonna call it the green team and they sit on the border between the red and blue team. Now, they're acting under orders. They're acting under the orders of Richard the Lionheart, and they're foresters. So when you look at that and you realise Nottingham and possibly Sheffield and quite a lot of the other major centres in that strip, that's like no man's land. You know, that's commando territory. And that's where the foresters get sucked into all this. Um, so, yeah, Um By the time he's kind of 16, 17, he's he's kind of old enough then to go into the Order of Foresters, which he does. Now, the interesting thing is, you can get a map at this point, you can have a look, uh, just sort of slightly up and to the left of Nottingham, because everybody heads for Nottingham, you'll find Tutbury, Doveridge, Sherwood's just kind of off to one side of it, and then above it, Loxley. So, Robin of Loxley is clearly in the right area. You can kind of nail him down geographically. Loxley's his village, and that seems to be kind of where he was born before he went to Chester. But there's a massive castle there called Chartley, and it's being built during his lifetime by the Earls of Chester. So, okay, you know, you there's, there's your connections. It's all starting to make sense. When he marries Maid Marmion, because Marmion is the family name for Abbot's Bromley, which is down in Staffordshire, he marries her in the church at Doveridge. So you've just gone across, there's your next major site, Doveridge. And the details of the church at Doveridge are just absolutely spectacular. It's definitely the place where he, he married
2: yeah, Maid Marmion, Marmion.
3: Is in what town or what city? Uh, she originates from Abbot's Bromley, which is where they have this legendary horn dance. They dance around with with like the horns of, of um, deer. Uh, um, once a year it's like a spring festival thing uh, folks can google it you know it's 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 famous enough and they've dated the horns the dates go all the way back a thousand years so that ceremony was going on by the marmion family when robin was still alive so there is a link there where Funnily geographically enough, it- is, is is in blue team territory though oh no it's red it's red, slightly drifting onto green. So he's, he's staying with his own. You so know he's what staying I mean? with his own. So it's, it's staying it's, with his support. you are not yeah.
2: star-crossed lovers, or at least not. Uh,
3: not no, 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 not, not really. It's, uh, and, and she's a proper noble, as you pointed out in the story. Like I said, you were 75% there. She is a proper noblesse, if you like. She's from a, a noble Norman family. Uh, the interesting thing is, though, in the Abbot's Bromley horn dance, they, it's, it's a bit like a mummer's play. And, and they have a Maid Marian, a Maid Marmion. They have her in there, but they don't have a Robin Hood. They <laughs> have a, a forester with a bow. Oh. So clearly the ancient ceremony is her family's ceremony. It's got bog all to do with Robin. It's nothing to do with him. And then if you jump across again, you've got Tutbury, which is where Friar Tut comes from because there was a friary there. So you can even trace back to the fact that, that Richard the Lionheart actually knew one of the friars there, but back then it was known as Titbury. So I'm going to be polite about this and say, I'm really pleased that they changed the name to Tut. Otherwise, Friar Tut wouldn't be as popular as he is now. (laughs) And I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, But you know, it's known you can track him down. He's there. He's there in the records um so that that's quite remarkable i can give you a birth date for robin as well we we think through research uh somewhere between 1129 and 1153 he was born and i'm going to st- stick a pin in a map and i i think he was born probably in the winter of 1130 so we can get it down pretty much to that close i'm a bit more vague in the book than that but i've i've kind of you know done a few more years since then so uh, we're thinking it's probably the winter of 1130 when he was born so anyway once, once he gets to a decent age you know and he becomes a forester uh, that bit's true
0: When I decided to parent at 22 years of age, I had no idea how challenging or rewarding it would be. Looking back, I'd do it all over again.
1: Being a single mom isn't always easy, but it can be the greatest adventure of a lifetime. Whether you're at the beginning of this journey or somewhere in between, CareNet is your go-to place for pregnant and parenting resources. And all services are free and confidential. To learn more and find a location near you, visit our website at carenetcares.com.
0: Memorial Day honors those men and women who perished while serving the United States military. It is a day of remembrance. And right now, remembering is even more important. They died to preserve a way of life that seems especially precious. This Memorial Day, we honor our fallen soldiers and all those who are on the front lines right now, fighting for us all. Kenny Drugs salutes you
3: you know, he ends up looking after the forests. But if you do your background research again and you start looking at Sherwood, um, and there's a few other places in that area as well, Barnsdale Forest and one or two other bits, all around the sort of A1 North Roman Road that runs up that part of the country. When you look at these forests, there's loads of Templars. So we're moving on the story a bit here. Lots of those bits of land are owned by Templars. Uh, or people with templar associations or people bearing mm-hmm. templar arms before we get too far into that i just want to
2: find out one thing because you know he's in he's in this group called the foresters yep. um which you know in modern times you know i think of a park ranger which is a nice job but it's not considered a big deal is a forester during the 12th century would that have been like being a knight or so, or something impressive is that something that a noble person's family's child would would is that a position of privilege that you'd have to get into or you know is, is, is it just like a good civil you know a, you know, a decent civil service job
3: it's uh, well the only way i can describe it is it's one hell of a job um basically okay. going all the way back to anglo-saxon times so you're going back into you know 400 500 600 ad the forests were managed as a resource you know, as a, as a natural resource for all sorts of things—timber and food and everything you can imagine—that would grow in a sort of native forest. Uh, they didn't just happen by accident; they were actually managed. And and verdig- verdurers or verdigers, which are literally green men. Hence, you know, Robin Hood wearing the Lincoln Green, which in actual fact is isn't Lincoln Green at all. In the original story, it's um, it's um, I think it's Cumbrian Green. He gets it from somewhere else, so it's slightly different. But anyway, he's wearing green because he's a forester, so his robes are, are, you know, dyed green. Also, that's why he ends up fighting commando style, you know, because him and the rest of his troop, his merry men, are foresters. They're all foresters, so they're quite powerful. Um, I know what's going through your head now. You're thinking, well, how did he end up getting from there to the king? Because it's... You know, not, it, it, it's sure a bit of a leap. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just rolling the story along. Um, okay, well, basically what happens is um, Richard the Lionheart, who is this uh, French-speaking noble king, only actually ends up coming back off crusade and spending maybe six, seven, eight months in this country. He's not here for long during his reign. excuse me and on one of those visits when he's here for about three months i think it's the first time he visits here he's having trouble with nottingham castle and it's a wonderful story because it's it's in the legends so and it's also in his diary if you go and check the records this is this is fact he went to nottingham castle to sort the sheriff out because he had nothing but trouble with the sheriffs of nottingham and this is the king Anyway, he arrives at Nottingham Castle. He's only there three days. He sorts it out because, of course, the castle surrenders immediately because it's Richard the Lionheart, so they're not going to pick a fight. So they just surrender. He comes in. He sorts all the the mess out. And then at some point, Richard the Lionheart's out in the forest. Anyway, he sees this bloke coming towards him. And this bloke who's coming towards him sees Richard the Lionheart. And this bloke basically says, Oi, what are you doing in my forest? And Richard the Lionheart looks at him and thinks, what the hell is this fellow going on about? I don't really get this. And then he does it again. He says, Oi, what are you doing in my forest? I'm going to chuck you out of this forest. And he has to go at the king. He dives on the king, and they start having a punch-up. And this guy's punching the king, going, You're trespassing in the king's forest. I'm the king's forester. You know, I've got the authority to chuck you out. What the hell are you doing here with all these strange knights? Clear off. At which point, somebody then points out to this bloke and says, Um you know, you're beating up the king here. This is Richard the Lionheart. Anyway, the bloke is Robin Hood. And that's how they encounter each other. Robin goes for the king, assuming he's a trespasser. And, of course, as soon as they find out that's who each other is, wonderful story. The king's like, well, do you know what, mate? You're only doing your job. You know, that's what I put you here for. And Robin's like, whoa, you know, please forgive me, sir. You know, you are my boss kind of thing. At which point, and uh, you can see why, Richard the Lionheart's like, right, okay, you you are my man. You are now going to be a knight. And everything changes at that point for Robin because that's the point where Richard the Lionheart says, you've got my permission to marry. You can marry Maid Marmion now. You've got lands. You've got a house. You know, you're a knight now. Uh, you can settle down. Your family's official. You've got a coat of arms. And by the way, if you have any trouble with the Sheriff of Nottingham, just get rid of him, you know. Clear the decks. So when you read the stories of Robin, especially in his later life, um, and you're thinking, "Hang on a minute, he's just shot the he's just shot the sheriff of Nottingham." You know, he's just killed him with a bow and arrow. How can he get away with that? Well, the reason he gets away with it is he represents the king. Robin is the king to all yeah. intents and purposes. He's, he's, At this he's point,
2: to, the sheriff is a local official. Robin is he's he's an he's over-order. regional. Yeah,
3: yeah. Right regional he's, he's red team he's big now he's, he's big league mainly because he punched the living daylights out of richard the lionheart you know and got pulled off uh, but you know worse <laughs> worse ways to start a job i'm sure there's lots of people out there would love to do that to their boss as an interview <laughs> but there you go so uh, so For that the, bit of the I story i love my bosses they're great uh, that, that bit of the story is totally true and again going back to the records they've actually got the records in nottingham castle of the sheriffs of nottingham and when you go through Robin's life story when you look at the early stories in total i think he kills two of the sheriff of nottingham's and little john kills another one so that's three you get to the records for the castle lo and behold there's three of them missing (laughs) so you you can't make it up right you know it's it's like shoot it's a duck you know we we know why now because of course this is all in the book i mean i'm going into very little detail here but it's you know it's it's all in the book um Robin, the real Robin Hood, uh, he's, he's quite a nasty piece of work, really. But considering the times he was alive, uh, you would have to be, you know, you'd, you'd have to be rough, tough and, and ready for action. So that's
2: than a more Clint Eastwood Western. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting because then as as Robin starts to get older, Obviously he's climbed he's climbed the social ladder, you know what I mean? He's started off as a, born as a, you know, illegitimate child to a minor nobleman, and then he gets adopted by a bunch of fairly major noblemen, but he's still only adopted, so he can't be anything more than a, a page or a serf, you know, he wasn't anything of any great consequence. And then he rises to the dizzy heights of being a forester. Well, then he must have climbed up whatever tree was in that order of foresters to become a a verdiger. Like and John- he's quite happy. It's like Jon
2: Snow in Game of Thrones. It's like Jon yeah. Snow is modeled after Robin Hood, basically.
3: Well, at the end of the day, yes. And he's, he's climbing the tree. He's going up the Order of Verd- verdigas. Then he gets appointed a knight. So as a noble knight then, this is where his life kind of moves on a little bit. As he starts to get older, Excuse me. he decides that he's eventually going to give his life over to religious pursuits. So that's a lot of the connection that he's had with the church through his life, which is in the legends. A lot of those connections uh, eventually leading to be become a hermit. But then, remembering he's he's Richard the Lionheart's man, you know, he's red team. So as soon as John, who's blue team, King John, becomes king and starts causing problems, which John does, wants to tax the north out of existence, um, then you have the barons actually revolting and saying, hang on a minute, we're going to do Magna Carta. Now, Magna Carta is enormous, you know, in terms of, of, of changing the world, it's you know even thought to be a, a you know a forerunner to the uh, Declaration of Independence you know the American Declaration. It's it's one of the first original documents where you know people's rights in this case it's nobles but it's sure. still you know people's rights uh, are actually documented. Again, now the like very Game first. Of
2: Thrones at the end <laughs> where it's yeah, still well, the nobles. Yeah. It's just it's just a uh, it's kind <laughs> of gentler version of the, the no, nobles ruling.
3: Yeah, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, no new stories. But anyway, at this point, they, they basically the nobles go and find Robin Hood. They go and find him. He's, he's in his eighties at this point, oh, really? and they say, "Look, you know, you're a northern noble. This affects you. Come and join us." So it's it's clear that he joined with one of the retinues of, of the other nobles and must have been at Runnymede um, in 1215 for the signing of Magna Carta. That's pretty much the last thing he does. Because around about the age of 82, 83, he dies. He dies of old age. Um, Maid Marion, I think, finishes up because she's a bit younger than him. So back in the story, she ends up going off and joining a nunnery, which, again, is pretty typical for medieval times. Um, and it, it's it's interesting because um, oh, I'm going to launch into a great story here because it's, it's all about his merry men. Um there aren't many uh, records surviving before what we have over here that's called the dissolution of the monasteries because Henry VIII came to the throne, decided he was going to dissolve all the monasteries, get rid of all the nonsense as he perceived it, and you know start the Church of England, which he decided to do. So a lot of the records were destroyed. Before that happened, though, in the early days of King Henry VIII, he got a poet called Skelton. And this is really important. He got Skelton to get into the archives, most of which now remember we don't have because they're gone. And he said to Skelton, he said, I want you to do me what is effectively the definitive play on Robin Hood. And I want you to come back and I want you to perform it, etc. 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 So Skelton's play, which has been largely overlooked, is crucial because it has details in it that you don't get anywhere else. Plus the fact, I mean, you know, if you're doing a play for Henry VIII, this is a very powerful man who has a reputation for lopping heads off. Right. So you're not going to make a mess of it. Right. And also the idea that you have to at least play to the right story and have the right characters. That hadn't disappeared. You know, that's it's kind of printing has only just been invented. So uh, this he's going back to handwritten records. Anyway, he does the play and in the play all of the Merry Men are labelled. So you've got Will Scathelock and Will Scarlett, who are both brothers, but they're both criminals, who well, I think I'm right in saying come from Sheffield. It's there that it's not. Recorded as Lincoln Green, it's it's you know um, Cumbrian Green or whatever. It's, it they go to different places, but it lists all kinds of minor things. It tells you where Little John, Little Johan came from. It tells you you know where they get the arrows from, the arrowheads, where his shirts were dyed so they were green. It's got all these minor details in there. It's incredible. I'm not going to give too much away because it's it's a great section in the book, so it's it's worth people buying the book just to get those details. But the point of fact is, it, it's absolutely geographically correct. It's also linguistically correct. So the names that are given to these people are correct. And it gives you all the background. And you could just take one look at it and you just go, hang on a minute, he nailed it. You know, Skelton nailed it with this because they are the characters that they're said to be in the later legends. Uh, bear it in mind, I mean, I, you know, the records he was relying on would have been records up here in the north, the northern records that were only a couple of hundred years old at this point, you know, um, because they were only written down in the twelve hundreds and the thirteen hundreds when Robin became famous. So um, it's it's just it's really good stuff. I have got all the sources. All the sources are listed in the book as well. If people want to check, um, so yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, the next thing as well that comes up in Skelton's play is Robin apparently wanted to be buried under the Abbey Wall in Wakefield, which is significant for two reasons. Uh, first of all, you've got this very famous uh, burial site at Kirkwall, and it's got this grave on it, and it had a burial slab on it with his name on it and all this kind of stuff. And And I love this because it's early archaeology. Um, one of the owners of the house in the 1700s, he got one on him one day, and he thought, "Right, this is it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna nail this good and proper. I'm gonna dig him up." And he went to the the grave. He dismantled it, and he moved the stone. And they started digging, and almost immediately they hit solid rock. So it's like, okay, there you go. Archaeology, early antiquarian archaeology, has proven that that is clearly not the burial site of Robin Hood. It's you know clearly a fake. It's it's a distraction. And then you look at Wakefield, which is this this. Place over here, this big city over here, and you think, hang on a minute, Wakefield hasn't got an abbey. Where? Where's over here? UK, uh, over here in the UK, north Northern England. Okay. okay, well, all of it's the UK. So, <laughs> well, yeah, the whole thing is. So that's where Wakefield is, um, and and you you go to Wakefield and there's there's no sign of an abbey. Well, just literally year four of me writing this book by sheer coincidence they happen to be renewing the floor in what is the modern Abbey of Wakefield. And guess what? They come down on a tiny, smaller version of the Abbey, and they dig up a couple of skeletons. I think they brought up three skeletons in all, with the exact date range of just after the death of Robin Hood. Now, bear in mind, they weren't digging. They didn't go down. So there's other burials, older burials lower than them. And it's the configuration of the missing abbey at Wakefield. So it's like, well, of course we know where he is. I mean, they're not likely to dig up the floor now because it's like a multi million pound renovation they've just done. But approximately where they've stuck the new high altar, which by coincidence is a gigantic Templar cross, it's this huge Templar cross shaped wooden thing they put there. Roughly where that is, is roughly where Robin Hood's buried under the wall and if they find him i mean in in the play and one or two other sources it says he was buried with his bow and and his sword and a few other bits and bobs so looking at that uh, looking at the list of what he was buried with you'd know it was him if you found him if that makes sense huh. so uh, but they never they never excavated around the walls i was really frustrated you know i was like get stuck in you know go find him but no, now they only they did what they were told. They just did the top layer, and that was that. But what a fantastic end to the book!
2: I have three questions for you. One, oh, gone. On. I remember in in our last show when we talked about Arthur and the and the Green Man, you said the Green Man was basically a you know a, a almost like a sign of a like a union, like you were in a guild or whatever. Would that be? Would the foresters be considered part of the Green Man, or am I just? Is that just a coincidence from different eras?
3: No, you're absolutely bang on. That's where you get all this Jack in the Green and you know Robin Hood being sucked into the Green Man thing. It is—it's the foresters' thing because the Green Man is the symbol of the foresters. So there's your link back to that book about the Green Man. It yeah. made sense having having done Robin Hood uh, to then follow it with revealing the Green Man. So Robin Hood is the book immediately before uh, the book I did on the Green Man. And we already established that, that was a prize job maybe a lower noble got it
2: or or something like that, or maybe like the the third son or something like that. Hard job to get, very good job, but not necessarily one that would, you know, that you assumed you would become a a knight from. He (laughs) just happened to be in the right place, right time. But still like a very, you know, I guess you'd call it maybe like uh, like a lieutenant general in the military, but you're probably not going to become a senator. You know, that kind Uh of thing.
3: Maybe, yeah, maybe. It's it's interesting because it, it's different functions, I suppose. Um, at the end of the day, being a, verdurer, a verdiger, being a forester, is a massively ancient and noble pursuit. So I would say if people want to get the background to that, boys to some background, dash out and buy the book Revealing the Green Man. And it, that Basically, that tells you what Robin Hood's job was, and the basis for that job. So it's an amazing job, really, is incredible job for him to get that. That's really good. Well, you're but, steward
2: of the wealth. You, I mean, the wealth is yeah. is, the, is the food, is the timber. That 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 that, that was the gold. You know, one, yeah. you know, Aside from that, was that was everything but the gold. That was you know yeah. that was the natural resources. So and, he, he was basically in charge of like if you were in charge of all of the mines in a region.
3: That that the, that sort of that job. Yeah, exactly. It's it's on a level with that kind of a job. It's it's super-duper important. And here's the but. The but bit is, though, at that point, he would be working on lands for Templars. So his boss, as a green man, if you like, would have been a knight. Right. It would have been whoever it was that owned that area. So he obviously had a tremendous reputation with the people around him. Um, otherwise, he'd have probably had his head chopped off for attacking the king. You know what I mean? They obviously realised who he was fairly swiftly um and pulled him off the king and the king's like oh yeah all right then uh time time to you know put you on a different fast track so, so he, he, he kind of the he,
2: king, he probably wasn't walking alone he probably was with a group and they're like whoa whoa whoa, whoa don't don't
3: drop him that off <laughs> yeah yeah i think the the people that pulled him off i would have thought would have been in, in richard the line retinue but that not. would have been a bunch of like you know travelling nobles or whatever of a much higher rank than, than Robin would ever have met. Right. And then Robin's bunch would probably have been his bunch of merry men. And they'd all be cheering him on like, you know, go on, get stuck in, mate. We don't tolerate trespasses around here, you know. Um, <laughs> and again, again, we, we imagine that, you know, that Britain was a wonderfully stable place. You know, Richard the Lionheart was almighty, you know, and nothing ever went wrong. That's not strictly true because actually the knights, the different bands of knights and the different nobles were still very tribal and very territorial. So there was lots of little skirmishes kicking off all the time. So it wasn't unusual for that sort of thing to happen. Right. Go on. You had a couple more questions. There was a
2: high king, but he wasn't all-powerful. He used uh, to <laughs> keep people in order, and there was a lot of politics. I get, I get it. Which, yeah. which, which again, is, is a little bit like Game of Thrones. But anyway, yeah. my, my, my second question is probably the most trivial of all, but you know, was he really this acclaimed, like almost like preternaturally good archer? <sighs>
3: I have to say the answer to that is probably yes. Um, The archers, I mean, when you say archers, everybody who could draw a bow at this point on a Sunday went down to the village green and shot at something with a bow. And there were some guys like the foresters that kind of did it full time. Now, I've got a couple of these bows here, which are medieval survivals actually came out of a barn in Yorkshire and, they're like the ones on the Mary Rose, and they're a hundred and sixty-pound draw weight U bows. So you can't just get all of them and just pull them back right. like you see in the movies. These things are serious. And when you when you excavate the skeletons of people who were professional archers, you usually find one shoulder is bigger than the other. Right. You know, it biologically changed them because they right. were messing about with you. your bones get bigger yeah.
2: to support the muscles <laughs> bigger
3: it was something you did all your life. Yeah. Um, And Robin, I mean, clearly at some point, you know, between ages zero and 16, when he was in Chester, clearly somebody spotted him practicing and gone, Hey, hang on a minute. He's got a natural, you know, uh, attitude, aptitude to, to doing this, you know, he's good at it. Um, and I would think that's what eventually brought him into uh, into being a forester. There is a tale actually that there was a widow up at uh, one, one of one of the the family lands, one of the areas they owned, uh, was up near Whitby. That's why you get Robin Hood's Bay up on the um, sort of northern, what would it be, west co- east west coast. East coast, northern east coast. It's, it's up on that side, the right-hand side of Britain. Uh, it's, it's like Whitby, Scarborough, Robin Hood's Bay, all that area. Uh, and there's, there was a, a widow there that was having trouble uh, because her uh, lands and her properties were being attacked by basically Vikings, pirates um, from northern France. And there's this tale that Robin was up there working on Whitby Castle uh, for one of the families that he was associated with – meets this lady and she actually employs him to go and sort these Vikings out. Uh, So he's out, you know, sailing on one of these ships and he takes the other ship out with a bow. He shoots everybody on this other ship with a bow and gets rid of them. They're gone. Captures the ship, sails in with it and all the treasure that's on it and everything else. I think, I mean, he's very young in the story. He's only about 16 or 17 in the story. Um, And it's, I think that's when the penny drops I think he's there, and he's thinking, you know, yeah, I can, I can really make a living doing this, you know, this, and and I can use it for good, you know, um, in very violent times, you know, he, he could use it. Um, anybody who knows anything about longbows, they're amazing, you know, what you yeah. can do with them. So, so that part of the story is entirely true, and he did put it to good use. Yeah, yeah. it's I mean- the O'Malley family that has. Um, lands up in that part of, of, of Britain. It's kind of diagonal across the country from Nottingham. So most people... Oh, by the way, Robin was only in Nottingham three days. I forgot to mention that earlier on. Same as Richard the Lionheart. So everyone's like, oh, yeah, Nottingham, Nottingham, this, that, and the other. Nonsense. He was 16 years in Chester. You know, anyway. <laughs>
2: so, yeah, anyone who knows their, their British and uh, European history, uh, the, the the British longbow was... A weapon that made a big difference between the the wars between the British and the French, and I think there was a battle at Agincourt or Agincourt, and the, Agincourt, you know, yeah. The, the yeah. British basically could take out the 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 French, you know, basically from
0: Memorial Day honors those men and women who perished while serving the United States military. It is a day of remembrance, and right now, remembering is even more important. They died to preserve a way of life that seems especially precious. This Memorial Day, we honor our fallen soldiers and all those who are on the front lines right now fighting for us all. Kenny Drugs salutes you.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
1: No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: You know, (laughs) hundreds of feet further than than the French could ever get to them. So they won that battle in a rout. And and the, you know, and then you know, it was basically like you know having uh, a cowboy age Winchester rifle rather than a colonial musket. It was you know the, the difference was that significant.
3: Well, the, the, there was there was a guy in um, Ireland um, fairly recently, only in very recent years, that decided he was going to see just exactly what these bows would do, and he, he had a go at seeing how many arrows he could loose. He got thirty-two arrows off in a minute. Wow. So when you times that by the number of archers that were aging, aging core, I mean, there must have been this enormous, immense hissing noise and the sky would have gone black. And apparently the arrows rained down on the French for eight minutes. And in eight minutes, I think it was over 30,000 fully armored riders and horses just piled up. They just ended up as a huge traffic jam and it's good night, Vienna. That's the end of it. Um, and, you know, bearing in mind that these bows were still on the Mary Rose in the days of Henry VIII, I mean, Henry VIII must have known the legends of Robin Hood and thought, hang on a minute, I'm having a bit of this, I want this technology on my flagship, you know, um, and there there they are, there's like boxes and boxes of these bows, so they're, they're just really deadly. And the other piece of trivia as well is the last military unit to have the longbow in use only came to an end, I think, in 1942. <laughs> they were still using them in the second world war because they were silent deadly and you can shoot over 600 meters you know if you know how to drop an arrow onto your target these these things are absolutely deadly i don't think they've repealed the law over here either i think us brits are supposed to be down on our village green you know firing at targets still on a of, sunday i don't think course. that's ever yeah, yeah, of course absolutely safe. you know
2: what i mean listen <laughs> sir I don't want to correct you but I've seen a lot of ninja movies in the 80s and, and I know mm. that, that that technology is very much still employed
3: in, in ninja and, and John Wick
2: worlds so anyway.
3: well, there's, a, there's another there's another guy that decided to see how adaptable it was so he used a short bow and he can do somersaults he can spring he can loose two arrows at once you know the things you see Legolas doing in the Lord of the Rings movies he can actually do it in real life you know what I mean he's doing a somersault in midair and he pops a balloon with an arrow you know it's, it's on the internet go and have a look you know right. uh, for anybody that's interested go check out you know this super archery that that's that's possible well that was the whole thing so, about yeah. the
2: mongols and the scythians and the parthians i mean somebody totally. even, somebody even says that the, the expression getting a parting shot comes from the fact that the parthians could shoot backwards you know while they oh, were yeah. riding away they could shoot at you I, i'm not sure if that's i, I mean oh it's par- true no it's true yeah because there, there's there's
3: there's, that there's part, actual i'm just
2: sure that the yeah. word parting comes from from Parthian, but hey, it it makes a good story, and if it's true, even the better. Anyway, my third question, which I'm pretty sure that you want to talk about anyway, and I hope so, was the connection to the Templars, because the Templars, everyone's like, ooh, the Templars. I mean, (laughs) everyone loves the Templars. I mean, you know, Dan Brown and the guy who wrote the Royal Blood, Royal, uh, you know, I forgot what the Uh, name of the book was called. There's dozens of them. Yeah, dozens of books. But anyway... Um, Yeah.
3: Well, we could we could do a whole we could do like an entire evening just on Templars. Um, It is one of my other specialist subjects, so um, I'm not really sure where to dive in. You know, they. uh, Well, was Robin? What sort was Robin a Templar? I would say so, yes. And the reason I say that is that um, there was a gravestone which was drawn during the English Civil War by a guy called Nathaniel Book And he drew the gravestone of Robin. And the Templars have a very distinctive way of doing gravestones. They have a little kind of foot bit down at the foot end, and then they have this long thing that looks like a cross. But when you look at it, it's not, because the cross on the top is equal armed. You know, it looks like a cross with a circle around it, but it's not. Right. Um, and what's interesting is we've also got the grave of Little John at Heather Sage over here. They know where it is, and his gravestone has also survived and has virtually the same cross on it as the one shown on Robin's grave. And both of those are Templar gravestones. So it's... Pretty ninety nine percent certain that at some point after uh, Richard, Richard probably gave left instructions and just said, "Look, get this guy into the order. You know, go through the initiation ceremonies, all the rest of it. Whatever you need to do, get it done. We want him. We want him in." So he then literally went back. Robin literally went back to his roots because all the guys that were in the in the order of the lion were all effectively a sort of Templar, a form of Templar. Um, so Robin basically just just joined that lot. You know, he just got promoted up in, into that. Um, so, yes, absolutely. I, I think in his later life, without doubt, he became a Templar. Um, and when he ends up in this cave as a hermit, um, he's at an abbey, which again makes perfect sense for Templars. You know, as a noble, why why would he decide to go and settle at an abbey? Well, it, it's, a, it's a Templar foundation. Ah. It's a Templar abbey. So the the connections in later life really start to rack up. Um, also, that's the only way you get away with shooting the Sheriff of Nottingham. I mean, the sheriffs, all the sheriffs obviously support different factions. They all have different backgrounds. You know, some of them are nobles with coats of arms. None of them, as far as I could tell, are necessarily Templars. So he could come in then as acting on behalf of King Richard and go, well, hang on a minute, I'm a few pegs up the tree higher than you. Right. You know, you're making a mess of this. Good night, Vienna, you know. Um, License to kill. So, yeah, yeah, license to kill, yeah. It doesn't have quite the same ring, does it? You know, you imagine 007 dressed in green carrying a a bow. (laughs) I mean,
2: you know, that, sort of, that sort of was the Errol Flynn version of Robin Hood. So I can because that's sort of what I grew up on. Aside from, <laughs> yeah. Aside from the cartoon Fox uh, and the Tights. Yeah. Well, the, you know, listen when you're it, it's,
3: it's, the, it's a shame about it's a shame about the Disney cartoon because uh, my favorite character in that is the cockerel. You know, Alan Adale, you sure. know Playing you. his playing his banjo. And, <laughs> I do, I do, I doodle do the day. You know. It. Well, do you know what? He's Nick from another legend. Oh really? He's pinched, yeah, he's, he had legends of his own. He, he's just a famous bard that was pinched from elsewhere. There is no in the original legend. I hate to say this. There's no Alan a He's not there. No, no minstrel. So, huh? oh, so he's he's in the twenty five percent that is made up. That's okay.
2: Yeah. I, I think that, <laughs> I'm not really a minstrel guy anyway. If you're if you're waging war against you know any yeah. You know, Invalid Lord, or even if you're just part of a civil war, as it turns to turns out to be, um, you know, I, you don't need a minstrel. I mean, war yeah, drums, you, war, war drums, I get. Trumpets, I you're get.
3: floating into the Mel Brooks, you know, Robin Hood men in tights. You're floating into that territory where they burst into song every now and again. You know, uh, I'm not a massive fan of musicals unless they're taking the Mickey out of them. Myself, but there you
2: either. go. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I famously <laughs> don't like musicals. So, um, all right. So he's a Templar, but like, you know, not seeking the Holy Grail, but. It's 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 an order. Um, I know you say you go an afternoon on it, but or an evening on it. But what is the significance of being a Templar other than Richard was sort of he was a Templar too. So as the king, I imagine he was very high up in the Templar order, if not the the head of the Templar. So not only was Robin the king's man, he was also sort of blessed by this, you know, semi, maybe not semi, but semi-autonomous, but equally. You know, or but high up ruling nobility. So he's he's sort of blessed through the same individual, but in in two nobility classes.
3: Yeah, I mean, you've nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. struggle uh, no with it. They are they are autonomous because as a religious order, they're answerable to the answerable to the pope. Right. So kings can join the order. But the order is higher up the pecking order than kings, if that makes sense. So they are autonomous. They are incredibly powerful. Back
2: then, sure, yeah.
3: You know, I mean, they're, they're the wealthiest, wealthiest order in, in in the world. You know, they've got an immense wealth. It's, it's actually thought that the, the Wicked King John, I mean, you've got this famous story where he's coming back from Scotland because basically he goes up to Scotland. He marries off his daughter to Malcolm, King of Scotland. And then he goes, right, Malcolm, uh, needless to say, you're going to support me now. And Malcolm goes, Ha tough luck, mate, on your bike clear off so he's coming down the east coast
2: the smartest scots uh, king of all time the only one that decided not to attack england from the north
3: not to have anything to do with john as well so (laughs) there's john coming down the east coast he famously then loses his treasure in the wash now it's not clear you know what went down in the river it could have been his treasure or it could have just been his religious artifacts but then he ends up then going to um abbey now, the thing about Swansea Abbey is he arrives and there's two different stories about this. And um, What I found is that Queen Victoria had a had a, her, the story limited. Uh, from her records, she just put one particular story into the history that was written in Victorian England. And that was the story that, you know, he just went there and that was that. But there's another story that was written at the time by the monks at Swansea Abbey that said John arrived there and decided he was going to steal all the treasure off the altar because there's all this shiny gold and everything, which needless to say belongs to the Templars. So now you're on red team, belongs to the red team. So he tries to rob the the um, treasure. And in the process of doing that, the abbot tries to stop him. And John just kills the abbot. That's like- so at that point, you can imagine that all, all, all the monks and everybody in the abbey is like, we've got to get rid of this bloke. Anyway, three days later, John dies. He dies apparently of overeating,
0: <laughs>
3: but and this is the big but when you know what the other story is, I'm convinced he was poisoned, yeah. you know. Uh, no doubt about it, they just bumped him off. Listen, that's the end of, of the Wicked faith. King if job.
2: If anyone was going to die of overeating, it would have been me. So, <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, there's a surfeit of lampreys and something else, he, you know. It's when you read, you know. What, what he was eating. It was like apples and fish and goodness knows what else. And you're like, Oh, no, I think you're right. You know That's going to give you some wicked indigestion. But when you know the, the alternative story to how he was behaving, well, the Templars also, they're, think, they're,
2: they're, I mean, you can't talk about Templars without talking about ties to alchemy. and you know, Absolutely. So absolutely.
3: They're right. So they're just like, okay, you know, we're, we're above the King. We're above royalty. And this can, guy's acting you like an asshole poison and seasonings on the buffet table. And you got the, glutt- yeah. you got the glutton there. Hey, yeah. yeah. You know, he's, he's, He's in bed with the French. He's trying to get in bed with the Scots. You know, he's a tax collector. You know, uh, Richard's just died, so they've just lost a hero. He's come all the way down from Scotland, lost all the royal treasures somewhere along the way. Right, he turns up at an Abbey, you know, that's Temple, and tries to steal what's at the Abbey. I mean, this this guy's doomed. He's broken all the all the rules of uh, Magna Carta already. I think he broke them three times before he eventually died. So everybody's just sick to death of him. Also, so sounds some- like a
2: metaphor. Die of overeating doesn't sound like a metaphor for just being piggish generally. Yeah
3: well yeah it's just at the end of the day you know that was the end of that was the end of the wicked king john so i i personally again you can read you can read the conspiracy you can see the the facts that they're, they're in the book you know which is why i said uh, you know the story of robin hood as memorial
0: day honors those men and women who perished while serving the united states military it is a day of remembrance and right now remembering is even more important they died to preserve a way of life that seems especially precious. This Memorial Day, we honour our fallen soldiers and all those who are on the front lines right now, fighting for us all. Kenny Drugs salutes you.
3: You gave it at the beginning, most eloquently I say. Huh. Um, that story is very much the Victorian romantic, you know. It's kind of had all the rough bits sanded off. And what I've done is I've gone all the way back and I've basically put put that back in. I've I put the gritty realism back in. I mean, there's one amazing bit where Robin actually, uh, he gets hunted down by a Scottish mercenary and the Scottish mercenary doesn't get the better of Robin. They have a massive bust-up, and Robin kills the mercenary. But then what he then does is he beheads, he chops the head off the mercenary, sticks the head onto the end of his bow, and pretends that he's the mercenary. You know, but the idea of, you know, Errol Flynn slicing some bloke's head off and sticking it on the end of his bow as a spike and marching into town with it going, oh, look, I've killed Robin Hood. You know, that that is just anathema. You know, it's not there in the, the news stories at all. And these, you know, there's another one as well where he, um, he, he robs a monk by dressing as a lady.
2: Uh-huh.
3: You know, you don't find that either. You know, he, he turns up dressed as a lady and the monk just accepts him. You know, uh, and then he can rob the monk. Right. But when you realise how corrupt the monks were, these are the monks of the abbeys in York, uh, and it's a powerful kind of pseudo-Viking-type uh, capital city York, and you know where these monks are coming from, and they're not behaving like they should be. Right. So um, what he's doing is he's actually robbing from the rich to shame the rich because he ends up giving the money back in the end to pay a ransom that the corrupt mon- monks have imposed on another knight, so when you actually look at what he's doing, it has got nothing to do with robbing from the rich to give to the poor. He never does that. That would have been socially unacceptable right. for him and the rest of his men to do that. He's, he's robbing when from you the actually, corrupt
2: rich to go to to give back to a different rich who at least have a claim of right to it, you know, or
3: yeah, yeah, or fooling the, fooling the corrupt rich. You right. know uh, that that's his thing. Is uh, it's it's modern in a sense that you know, the problems we've got in the modern day and age are with people in power. So you have to deal with those people in power, in powerful ways, you know, almost be one of them in order to sort them out. You know, you've got to have equal power and that's what you're actually seeing in the original tales of Robin Hood. You know, he's he's fighting on a level playing field And then eventually gets promoted by Richard the Lionheart. So it's no longer a level playing field. You know, he's risen that little bit higher and he can seriously kick ass now. So that's the kind of level we're at. Everybody else, the general population, isn't really included uh, in the early stories to that extent.
2: Okay, so we so we've shattered the myth also of <laughs> <laughs> rob from the rich to give to the poor. He, he yeah, that's he did rob from the rich at times, but it, it wasn't to uh, for the social welfare. It was it was you know just to uh, you know make make good on something for somebody that was on his team on in his nobility or to curry favor or to consolidate his power or, or whatever the case was be would be yeah but yeah it was for team... It, it,
3: there is yeah. there is uh, how can I put it? this kind of a medieval moral to everything he does sure you know there's a point to it none of it's random it's all a- absolutely specific but if people who are out there slightly of an academic leaning you know and they understand medieval society and they they approach it archaeologically and historically which is obviously how i've done it uh, when you start to read what's in the book obviously it makes more sense when you look at the real thing um than all the nonsense that you know comes after it which again is i suppose to sort of bow out where I came in. After writing the book after four years, I totally, totally believed that he was a real person. He really genuinely existed. I know people struggle with the idea that maybe he was alive in the 13th century or the 12th century or the 11th century. At the end of the day, they had this habit back then of naming the children after the oldest male so you've got like Robin Hood gives birth to Robin Hood, who right. in turn gives birth to Robin Hood, you know, and so on. I mean, I did my family tree, for example, and there's 13 Johns. It's like John, 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 yeah. John, it goes all the way through the medieval period. So you've got to be very careful. You've really got to push your source material to get back to a date. Um, but at the end of the day, it all fits. You know, that's the key to it. Uh, there's two family trees in the book as well. One's on his mother's side, and the others on his father's side. And both of those family trees are historically correct. Oh, that's okay, great. so so we know, we know who he was, or at least where he was in terms of of you know the families that he was a part family of. Family trees are very
2: appropriate for a book about a forester. So that, that's <laughs> uh, that, that's terrific. Um, so. I had a question. I lost it. I'm sorry.
3: I, 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 oh, sorry. I, I lose it all the time and I questions. I know. I, if, if only, if only I was a professional host. Um, <laughs> hey, listen. You still asked me the three that you had in mind, so I,
2: I, I did, and actually, you you answered the the fourth before I even
3: had to bring it up. Um, did well? We were we were on the subject of Templars, if that's any help. You were sort of looking at their influence, and oh yeah, I, do you want well, to ask about Templars themselves.
2: Sure, we, we we can do a little sidetrack on Templars, but I actually my question was that I lost and I recovered was did our blue and green team ultimately prevail
3: over the red team? Well, it's interesting. Um all the books that I've written coming up to date, so right up to the Arthur book, I've tended to focus on material that you would call northern so if you're looking at the British Isles, there was a kingdom, if you like, a sub kingdom called the Old North. And the Old North is basically the middle of it all. So if you look at the British Isles and you've got like, Ireland over here and you've got Scotland and England and Wales and down south and Cornwall, if you just like draw a big circle round all of that and stick a pin in the middle, you're gonna hit just north of Chester. You know, you're gonna come in right in the middle. And the Old North was this kingdom that that was just that. So it basically was North Wales and Cheshire and Lancashire and Cumbria and parts of the Pennines. and It stretched across, you know, onto the Isle of Man and and kind of clips a bit of Ireland. And that's the Old North. That's Mm. what you're looking at. Now then, the reason I'm telling you this is those areas were established in Roman times. So that's the territory that you find in King Arthur's day. So either side of 500 AD, that is that territory. That territory then survives into Saxon times. The Saxons then get invaded by the Vikings and the Danes because they come next in history. And it's the Vikings that establish the territory that you find in Doomsday. So now you're into William the Conqueror. So he does his Doomsday survey. And guess what? Those areas are still... Clustered together, they're still forming the old north. The old north then is the area that Robin Hood is born into, right. so you've got the same territory again. That territory then keeps going after Robin ab- about as long as just before the Tudors. So, when you get the Wars of the Roses, you get like you know, the Red Rose of lancashire fighting the white rose of yorkshire and they have this big bust up and you finish up with all these different royal houses coming out as a result of it so you're in sort of proper serious high medieval now you know they're full plate armor and the whole nine yards that area where all that's coming from is still the old north so eventually you've got two what are called palatine counties left which palatine in this in Britain means self-governing, and these self-governing counties were only discontinued; they only did away with them in nineteen seventy-three. Huh. One of them was Cheshire, and the other was Lancashire. So, those are the the core, if you like, the core counties of the old North. They were still palatine right up to the nineteen seventies. So, when you focus on that, I mean, I know, I know, you guys in America, are, you know, you'll all be like, oh, London. London this, London that, London the other, you know. Yeah, fine, it's the modern-day capital. You know, loads going for it ever since the days of the Vikings. But it is not the real heart. It's not the real powerhouse, if you like, of historical Britain. The real powerhouse is up here. Now, back to your question. So the Red Team, if you like, is the Old North. That's what it is. It's that core area. um, And it survives way, way after the death of John, you know. So the blue team just fizzles out. It just disappears. It becomes what we now interpret basically as English. That's everything that's English, you know what I mean? The the Old North becomes what was eventually Celtic, Welsh Celtic. So it's got kind of a right, if you like, to claim connections to Scotland and to Wales and to Northern Ireland because it's more connected to those Historically, than it is to the bit that's English. Mm. So uh, that I mean that that's kind of way, way broad kind of sweep of the brush to how to understand the British Isles. So the British Isles really is is, is basically cut into those two halves. But the old North is bullseye. You know, the old North is the centre. It's the business right. end, if you like, of of history. So no, it doesn't. It doesn't vanish. It never really goes away. Um, even now, you know, the government over here are talking about this northern powerhouse. Uh, it's that, it, it's never been anything but, you know, uh, you get Liverpool, Manchester, the Mersey Valley. You push them together with where I'm living, which is Warrington, right in the middle. Uh, and then you start looking at all the surrounding towns and cities easily, easily as big as the area of London, you know, easily uh but we're up here you know we're up north
1: right
3: <laughs> so uh well, below i don't know if that, <laughs> so yeah so so that kind of answers the question the red the red team never really went away that kind of core consciousness has has never disappeared um and and everybody living in london and the government and all this they've never been able to get rid of it you know we're still here I see i mean we still. we actually, we actually <laughs> supplied we supplied royalty proper serious you know medieval kings in the king and queen list to um you know uh, elizabeth as was and charlie who's there now we actually supplied kings for the throne of england for 464 no let's get this right 500 sorry 564 years that's king after king after king after king after king they're all coming from the north and the very last one is Anglo-Scottish and North. So you can't get get much northern than that. So really, the entire ruling house, you know, the the real business end.
1: With the Lucky Land you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start
3: getting lucky.
1: Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: <laughs> the real business end of what's running the British Isles in sense is coming from here. Yeah, it's coming from this neck of the woods. Well, then at some
2: point the wow. Germans came in, and then I guess.
3: Oh yeah, don't don't yeah, modern some, times. Someone else did yeah, the Germans, times. sort
2: of. I don't, I don't, I don't exactly know what happened between the Habsburgs and and <laughs> what is it now, the Windsors? Are they, are they? Is that the family? Well,
3: yeah, yeah. That that's you're only going back to sort of Queen Victoria's day there, really. Yeah. Um, you know, and there was a big argument somewhere before that. Um, I mean, historically, in the 1700s, you've got this big thing over here about uh Bonnie Prince Charlie and, and the Stuarts, the Stuart royals. Um the Stuarts, if you like, were the end of what I've just described, wow. this huge medieval, you know, thing uh that was going on. Uh, and some people still think the Stuarts should be on the throne, you know? Um back to Templars again, actually. Rumour has it that the current Stuart heir which I think is sixteenth in line to the throne, or something. The current heir is actually uh, in contact with and regularly visits the Templars of Scotland. Oh, I'm, I'm down with that. So that's you know what fair. I mean. They've not give up. Uh, you know no. this. You know, the, the, the history I teach, the history I give away, and the stuff I put in the books is is still relevant. You know, uh, and then some.
2: <laughs> history is never static, and and it's and it's never an isolate. I mean that that's what. People, are, this is why I'm never, I'm, I'm not afraid of any 10 family or 10 person cabal ruling the world because there's, there's no 10 families that are that powerful that would ever agree with each other. It is it is it is not, there's been no time in human history where it's ever been shown that, that nobody doesn't want to be the, the top dog. So <laughs> True. Uh, anyway, uh, enough about that because I know a bunch of my audience doesn't want to hear that at all uh which is fine too so yeah back to the templars because everybody wants to hear about templars so i i don't know if we can do a quick and dirty on on templars i've done past shows on templars so you know gretchen cornwell talked about them arthur farum talked about it, andrew goff talked about them so you know it's it's not like we've we haven't talked properly about templars before but i think this seems like a good time to do a you know a quick and dirty on uh templars sort of you know you know you know uh you know, post one thousand to, you know, pre fourteen hundred, you know, Britain
3: at least, or UK. Yeah, okay okay, yeah. Well in 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 a nutshell, um, I suppose I'll just stick to what they're most famous for. I mean, monks carrying swords, um that is a Celtic cul thing. You know, it goes back to the Roman era mm-hmm. when the culdees, who were the Celtic holy men, um in the second third fourth century uh, when they were evangelizing over here they were known to walk around basically wearing robes long cloaks which are these cream colored woolen hoodies which clearly that's where the templars are getting theirs from you right, know like,
2: like jedis
3: correct and you got monks carrying swords you know so by the time it gets to medieval times you know the monks have been wandering around in this country carrying swords for seven, 800 years, so it's nothing new. Uh, and there's biblical stuff as well that supports that. We won't get into that because it gets complicated, but it goes back a long way, the idea that you can protect yourself with a sword. And the cloaks, the cloaks, these woolen cloaks are famous that the Celts of Britain produced them so much so that they were a major export to the continent in Roman times. You know, uh, we made these brilliant cloaks. The idea, by the way, of Templars, uh, you know, charging into battle with a big red target on the front, you know, dressed in white in a desert. uh, That's nonsense. Um, When they were out there, they had desert colors. They had browns and blues and blacks. The crosses were never much bigger than your hand. Uh You know, they would stitch them on. Um, And that's only for recognition amongst themselves. And they would allow their armour to go rusty. They would paint it out, you know. So when you see them on the History Channel going, whoa, you know what I mean, bearing in mind that the people that they're fighting against have got compound bows, you know, they're really good shots. You're not going to go charging in with this whopping great big target painted on you. It's just nonsense. Uh, So all that's just made (laughs) up. That's rubbish. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you got it. You got it in one. That's it. Yeah, X marks the spot, you know. No, no, that's, that's... Fantasy. Um, the actual order of Templars. I mean, they, they they say it started in 1118, but there's evidence that you know it didn't. It was a you know militia of Christ. It started in 1114, but there's some evidence that's recently come up that they started earlier in 1112. So there's no reason to assume that they didn't kind of gather together just after the first Crusade came to an end. So they're there very early on, and They've been part of the fabric for a while. You know, these, these are not newcomers. They're just gathering everything that's gone before and just making something out of it, which is what human beings do. The actual first order to get properly uh, recognised, if you like, which I think was 11-12, is, is actually the Hospitallers. Right. So, you know, forget your red and white, because you, your white on black came first. Me. And, and those two orders stay together. Was and there, they work uh, together.
2: Hugh, Hugh de Payne and... Joplin. Hugh de Payne
3: and Godfrey de Saint-Omer. Yeah, they get recognized by uh, the Pope. Can't remember which one at the time. I haven't got my notes with me. But uh, the Pope rubber stamps them and says, yeah, you know, there you go. You can be an order. But the uh, hospitalers had already had that, you know, six, seven, eight years before. Uh, you can almost imagine the pair of them getting together, you know, at hospitalers and Templars, And, you know, they meet in a pub in Jerusalem. And the hospitalers are like, hey, you want to get on this? you know, bandwagon, it's really good this, get yourselves together, make an order and get on with it. So the Templars come next, but you've got other orders as well. You've got the Knights of Lazarus, you've got uh, Patriarch of Jerusalem's forces, you've got Knights of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. You know, they're they're not unique, not by any means. They're they're part of what's going on in Jerusalem. But what is unique is um, if you read the King Arthur book, it's um, the Templars' Who the uh, Islamic world record as being guardians of the Grail, so the Templars basically get involved with the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and they get involved in getting the Grail out of out of Jerusalem uh, in, during the war years of, of the Crusades. So that's an interesting beginning for them. You know sure. that's where they start. Uh, then they develop. You know they just grow and grow and grow. And, and as knights die they bequeath things to the order, so they end up with castles and lands and money and treasure and a navy, and you know, you can do an awful lot of stuff like that in 300 years, you really can, Um, but they're dying on the Crusades, there are at least nine or ten, possibly more, maybe 12 or 13 Crusades, depending on how you look at it, and the knights are dying, so you end up with female knights, because the ladies then start to inherit from the men and the ladies join the order so they seem very even-handed but when you know a bit about the celts and you know a bit about how the celts did things then that's all the templars are doing because the celts were very even-handed you know they they worship the head they had green men, they had swords, you know, their, their church was different, the way they did things was different. Gaia, Mo- you know, Mother Earth. All. Yeah, by the, by the time you look at how they're doing it, you, you look at the Templars and you think, hang on a minute, these are just, they're just medieval Celts, basically, that's what they are. So that's a key to understanding what's going on. Uh, but eventually they get really powerful. I mean, uh, in southern France, um, the records there show that uh, some of the Templar preceptories, the women knights, outnumbered the male two to one or even three to one. Now, when the order gets dissolved, 1314, they don't just get dissolved because the Pope has a hearing and over the next 80 years, they are absolved. You know, the the religious establishment never really wanted to lose them. It was politics. It was, you know, a a money and land grab, a property grab by Philip the Fair, King of France. So in 1314, you know, he tries, you know, he tries to grab everything. 1307 is the arrest of the Templars. Yeah, that's the famous one, 1307. Uh, but it's interesting because Friday the 13th, you know, he goes to arrest all the Templars. But on Thursday the 12th, you know, the Navy set sail because they got tipped off. So that's where that famous thing comes from. They set sail under the black flag with a white cross on it which became the skull and crossbones. That's another story, where the treasure went and all that. Like I we do a whole so, yeah. night on this. Uh, but then eventually, you know, they... they you know, Jack, Jackson Mole and Geoffrey de Charny, you know, get roasted in this pit in the Seine uh, on a fire uh, in 1314. They curse the king and they curse the pope to, you know, join them within the year. And you've got this famous legend that, of course, king and pope were both dead within the year, right. which again points back to what happens in the Robin Hood book, you know, when they bump off John. It does make you wonder just how powerful they were. Um, but in this country, it's interesting because you've got... Uh, Three King Edwards, Edward I, Edward II, Edward III. All those kings really liked the Templars. Even Scissorhands?
2: uh, (laughs) Edward Longshanks, sorry.
3: Yeah, Edward I is Longshanks. I mean, not a guy to be messed with. Scissorhands the Tim Burton movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and you can understand why he likes Templars. Uh, Well, Edward II was the the same, and Edward III is the same. So it's not until about 1334 that... King Edward III over here says, you know, uh, could you kind of disappear, lads? You know, you're not supposed to still be here. (laughs) So the Templars then kind of vanish into Scotland, Ireland and Wales because that's out of the Pope's reach, you know. And also they've had, you know, 30-odd years there, 20-odd, 30-odd years where they can transfer all the property over to the Hospitallers. Which is exactly what they did on the continent. So you know the King Philippe got nothing. Absolutely nothing. Hundreds of years later the, the royal families of France were still trying to get money out of the hospitallers that they claimed was owed to them by the Templars. But so they never got a penny. Never got anything at all. Complete disaster. Anyway, over here. You've then got Order of the Garter starts. You've got uh, Knights of the Round Table starts up. So basically, the Templars rebrand. Right. So what I'm getting to here, what what I'm really getting to is that that the idea that they suddenly just ended isn't true. For about the next sort of 50, 60, 70, 80 years other groups of Templars were popping up all over the place. You know, you've got Red Cross on a white background over in Switzerland for Swiss banking. You've got all these groups of mercenaries popping up. There's another knightly order called um, Knights of the Flirty Lee that start up, and they've got Anglo-Scottish, Anglo-European connections. They're they're just all over the place, and all it is is rebranded Templars. And then, and this is the kicker, the survivors of the Templars end up slowly coming out towards the end of that 80-year period. So by the time you've got to the 1400s with people like Joan of Arc and all the rest of it in that particular century, you've actually got Templars back again. Maybe they're not calling themselves Templars, but they're back. Right. And that is the survival, if you like, of the modern order of templars so nowadays they're still here but there's three different kinds really of of templars you've got here uh you've got masonic templars which you can only really trace them back to the start of masonic records so they only really go back to the 1723 masonic you know um charter or whatever so they only go back to that So the first book on yeah, unless masonry. you believe
2: their legend that goes back to cain <laughs>
3: so <laughs> right. well, it depends but i'm only looking at templars here okay. rather than Masons. so the templars certainly the, the association can only go back to the foundation really of, of, of temple uh, of masons as we've got them now okay. but you've got masonic templars you've still got survival of catholic templars so there are independent groups of templars that can trace their genealogy if you like back quite a long way, hundreds of years, and and they're all over Europe. They're everywhere. So you'll, you'll see them emerging now. You've probably got them in America. You'll have American Templars, but they, they have different emphasis.
2: Oh, but that's what's happening. Some are real and that, some will just claim to be. So,
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, and then you've got other Templars, and I'm going to say other Templars mm. because things like the Templar Trust – Take pilgrims out to the Middle East, there was a, right. a temperance movement called the Templar Trust. You know, so you've got lots of what I'll call minor Templar connections, which are very public and they're usually charitable in their intentions. Um, so really, those three branches are the ones you're dealing with now. that every, everybody falls into at least one of those categories. Um, the ones in Scotland, for example, Rosslyn Chapel, they're one of the middle group. they're the ones that say, "Well, you know, we never ended." It never went away. And if you look at the style, for example, of Scottish medieval burials in the clan burial grounds, the actual style never changes. So the Templar burials that are clearly Templars in the ten hundreds, 1100s, 1200s, you know, just carries on in the 1300s, 1400s, 1500s. It's all the same. You can clearly see that it never changes. So they have probably got a decent claim to being one of those uh, groups of Templars that have survived into modern times. Well, shameless
2: uh, plugs as to shows I referenced earlier. Uh, Andrew Goff <laughs> does an excellent job on the origin of the Templars, and it's, I believe it's called the Pousson Code, or because apparently it's uh, the Templars are much more tied to the artist Pousson than Da Vinci. Uh, but he goes through a lot of the history. Arthur Faram takes us from Europe through uh scotland into north america and gretchen cornwall t- basically covers some of the same ground but takes us mostly through canada into north america and she's currently uh doing i think season two of the curse of oak island so you're, you're not our only tv star and and uh, and uh and andrew goff i think is also on uh he's doing something on gaia channel and maybe discovery as well so uh so
3: yeah he was he was uh he was on something to do with um forensic solving of um world mysteries. Yeah. I spotted him on there on uh, I think he was on Blaze over here or yeah, he's on over One of those. He yeah. Just did,
2: he just did a TED talk, an 18-minute TED talk on on our ideology of the bees and the good news for garden of listeners, you'll need to listen to his 18-minute TED talk. We have like 100 minutes of him going. So he's not rushing through and it's called <laughs> I'm so clever. The be all and end all, but B-E-E. Oh, but I have to tell you, guy. that show, I'm like, what am I doing? And and it was fascinating. It's one of my favorite shows because I had no expectations going in. It's fascinating. So check that out. And I'm actually recording with Andrew this Thursday, which I think is March 23rd or 24th. And we're going to do Tartaria, so Tartarian. So uh, it'll be Andrew's also his uh, his fourth visit into the garden. So very excited about that. And, and it's cool that, that you know each other or at least know each other. Yeah, others. he's a really
3: nice guy. Uh, we, we, we met many, many years ago uh, and sort of chatted just as uh, acquaintances uh, and then we met again last year and it was like, Oh, I know you. And he's mm-hmm. like, I know you too. Where do I know you from? And it was a massive catch up and it, he's just a lovely bloke. You know, yeah. he's, he's a so smart, bit yeah. of a star. Yeah. he's. I smart. mean, we, we're totally, we, we research totally different things, you know, come at it from a different uh, viewpoint. But, sure. you know, I like, for example, something like the Templars, mm-hmm. um, is a subject Can't where right. I would encourage, I would encourage people to read around it. You know, don't just get all the one book and stick to that like glue. um, And again, try and focus on what people can prove to be true. Um, Been some amazingly good TV programmes recently about Templars where they've looked at artefacts and archaeology and buildings and sites and, you know, I mean, the biggest problem is that the main Templar archive, which was on, um, I think it was on Cyprus, the Ottomans destroyed it in something like 1542. They think they set fire to it and just burnt it and destroyed it. Um, So that's a shame. Says something about, hanging on to your filing system, I guess. Yeah, well, listen, um, to,
2: listen to this, America. Burning books,
3: banning no. books, never a good idea. No, no, really yeah, bad. Never Yeah, I mean, just as a general piece of wisdom, by the way, and it's, it's still true, if somebody tells you that a particular book is banned or you're not allowed to read it, go and find it and read it. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know? <laughs> I'm not saying I, book has value. I'm just saying banning
2: books is, is always a bad <laughs> idea. I'm not even saying every book deserves to be in print. But it's just yeah. a better idea. Don't ban books. Yeah. Kids, that's what yeah. you have parents for. Parents, that's why you're parents. And, you know, I'll just leave it at yeah. that. And
3: always read around subjects. Always, yeah. you know, go as far as you can and read around them. Uh, definitely. You yeah. know, the more you know, the better.
2: Right. It's not like if you read Mein Kampf, you're going to become a, a fascist despot. I mean, you know, it's, maybe it just gives you perspective into how people think and that can help you
3: yes in how yeah. you
2: approach the world and and choose to behave yourself and if it does turn you into a fascist despot i mean i don't know how you got that power being where you are but uh, you were probably already on the path to uh some sort of uh,
3: ill-begotten future anyway anyway i had no Yeah, other- pe- 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 people who tend to end up in positions of power actually you look at them and you you, you can almost see what they didn't read Does that make sense? You know what I mean? They get hold of something and they don't. They don't read around, you know, whatever it is they do. So you look at them and you think you've got such a, you know, skewed, monocultural view of, you know, whatever it is that they're going on about, you know, as a leader. And you think, you know, why don't we have someone who's, you know, more intellectual and more rounded and, you know, better read, et cetera. So just by looking at these people, you think, you know, where on earth are they coming from? But then again, then again, I suppose if you know what you know, you probably wouldn't aspire to be that type of person. You know, the more knowledgeable and, and rounded you are, the less likely you are to want any kind of power. You know, it's, uh, you know, I don't envy them in terms of the ride they're on. Yeah, you know, it is, uh, somebody pretty smart difficult. said, he-
2: heavy is the head that wears the crown. And, and I, I can yeah, tell totally. you from my minor experience with that, yes true um yeah, totally you know if you can find a, a way to survive you know relatively comfortably without having to do that it's
0: much better
2: you can actually really <laughs> enjoy life much more at least life. um and really no business doing so in sort of you know you know solid middle age you know depending on when you say middle age starts but late 40s mid 50s you know that you know that i don't know that i've ever had more fun than now um anyway uh I had no idea that Robin Hood was going to get us into the Templars, but I think that's awesome. Wow. because we sort of did two shows in one, and that—that's terrific. Yeah. We're gonna—we're gonna hear from Mark again, in, in a few short months, he's—he's he's got his little black cat there. I want, I'm going to ask. Yeah, my if,
3: cats just showed up. Yeah, there, yeah, wants a little <laughs> attention. Good. Um, look out for Happy Le Pew. Uh, I was going to say he always does this. He get to the end of an interview, and he's usually on the sofa behind me or he, he you know brings his tail into view or something exactly. he's been all over the world people have seen this cat everywhere he's, you know? a, he's a real star <laughs> a real star. In, international <laughs> s- sensation get him on tiktok yeah he's, well, don't use tiktok he's na- use
2: instagram uh, there you go yeah uh, but I, I thank you so much listen this is the time where you tell people where to follow you and and what your books are and where to buy them and stuff like that
3: okay um as i always say really really simple Um, If you want to buy any product whatsoever, by the end of this year, there'll be nine books in total on uh, Amazon. Uh, Just go to Amazon, type my name in. If you're not sure how to spell the book cover or whatever, if you type me in, I'm sure it'll come up. But if you do go for the Robin Hood one, R-O-B-Y-N-H-O-O-D-E. It's the life and times of the real robin hood so you'll find it straight away uh, and again green man's there arthur's there all the other books are there so really easy amazon you know pay your money click collect a few days later whizzes through your door uh, if you want to get me i'm primarily on facebook i know some people hate hate that platform now but i'm still there i've been there a long time it's, it's getting Come and find me on-
2: it's getting repopularized because people don't like twitter anymore
3: well, yeah, it goes in swings and roundabouts. But come and find me on Facebook, and you can always message me on Messenger. Uh, if you send me a friend request, I tend to accept most people, uh, unless you've got, you know, like a little picture with a unicorn on and your name's Fifi Trixabel and you've got no <laughs> photos. You know, I'm, I'm not going to friend you if you do that. Don't don't be silly. uh You know, it's called Facebook for a reason. You know, there's got to be a face there with an identity. um so, yeah, come and find me, and you can send me messages. So it's uh, Amazon for product, Facebook for me, Facebook Messenger, uh, and if you want to book me for anything or, or anything else, just you can always get me on Messenger, and I'll give you my email uh, once I know who you are, that you're a real person and not a robot. <laughs> and it's Mark with
2: a K, Ali is O-L-L-Y, very easy. It's exactly how it sounds. And- yep. For all of you listening, I want to thank you for listening to Garden of Doom. And I want, would like to ask you also to um, write a review, give a five-star rating. Oh, no. Before I did the YouTube thing, it didn't have commercials. All right, here we go. Sorry for that, everybody. Here we go. The theme song to The Adventures of Robin Hood is playing in the background. There we go. So give a five-star rating, a review. Write a nice review, tell your friends, uh, and forgive my editorial miscues. You've heard the excuse a million times. Enjoy the song. We will hear from you next time in the Garden of Doom. Robin Hood, Robin,
0: Hood, Robin, Hood, Robin Hood. They the heaven on the green. They to help the people of the kingdom. They handled all the trouble on the English country scene, and still found plenty of time to sing. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, riding through the glen. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, with his band of men. feared by the
3: bad, loved
0: by the good. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, Robin Hood, Robin Hood. Robin Hood.